Do you want to win some money? I bet you do. Do you care about civil affairs? Yes, I know for sure, because you're listening to the show. Check out the call for issue papers. The new theme is campaigning and civil affairs. Some questions to answer include, how can CA contribute to campaigning? Beyond policy, what changes can better operationalize and integrate CA's role in campaigning? How would CA even measure progress in campaigning? And how would a full concept of the CA role in campaigning apply to conflict prevention, security cooperation, irregular, or gray zone warfare? So put that thinking cap on and submit your papers by Friday, 15 September. For more details, visit civilfairsassoc.org. Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. And a quick shout out to LC38 Brand. They're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans. The promo code is 1CA10. LC38 Brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventurer. So check out their website at lc38brand.com. I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes. I'm Major Brian J. Hancock, and I'll be your host. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Colonel Rachel Shearer. Colonel Shearer is the current Civil Affairs Planning Team Chief for U.S. Army, Europe, and Africa, and manages the rotational forces that come through here once a year. Colonel Shearer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. A pleasure to be here. Outstanding. Before we begin, our standard disclaimer, all remarks of uh, myself as well as our presenters do not necessarily represent the views of either the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Colonel Scherer, um, do you have anything before we begin or I'll start with our first question? I'm just uh, happy to be here and glad that you considered sitting down with me today. Thank you. We're really glad to have you. Can you paint a picture for us of what the U.S. Army, Europe, and Africa Command is, and what is its mission? So the U.S. Army, Africa, we're now headquartered in Wiesbaden, uh, Germany, uh, moved from Heidelberg in 2012. Their primary mission is to deter and provide a combat credible force for Europe. I'd say that uh, we've got forward lines of effort and we focus a lot of our attention on increasing the capacity with our NATO partners. Now, I see the name U.S., Europe, and Africa. That implies a co-equal split of effort. Is that been your experience, or is the command more focused on one area than others? You're asking a tough question. We are U.S. Army, Europe, and Africa. A lot of the responsibility for Africa has fallen upon CTAF-F. Uh, just recently, about last week, there's more talk about shifting responsibilities to put more of the onus on USERIOR AF uh, to focus on on Africa. Right now, it is, I'd say, a 80-20 split 
uh, for CTAF-F focusing on Africa, but USRF is doing its, uh, doing its due diligence to increase its support of the theater. You just mentioned uh, the Southern European Task Force Africa. I understand that there are other commands who conduct operations in this space. Can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between U.S. Army Europe and Africa, our command, the Southern European Task Force Africa, CTAF-AF, the U.S. European Command, UCOM, and the U.S. African Command, AFRICOM. How do they work in this space side by side, and what's the command relationship among them? Sure. I'll start with the command relationship between the two. And of course, I'm speaking from my perspective as a staff officer within USRF. We work, when we have issues, I would say it, it was a coup in Burkina Faso or some of the other um, political activities that had happened in Africa earlier this year, we funnel that information through CTAF-F and they are working with US AFRICOM. We have not perfected that relationship with USURIRAF and US AFRICOM, at least from a uh, from the G39 perspective where you have Civil Affairs PSYOP and IO. We are working, USURAF as a whole is working at taking more of the tasks for Africa onto USURIRAF and lightening the load of CTAFF. Thanks for that explanation. This has been a very complicated space for some time. And of course, we have the Legacy Command, um, US uh, Africa Command, which uh, their responsibilities are also being transitioned to uh, CTAF and and USRF. So a a lot of players in this space. Um, And and of course, uh, this isn't an area where we necessarily have freedom of movement the same way we did in in other theaters. So that, that adds additional complexity. Now, let me ask you this. Most of our civil affairs soldiers at one point in their career or another have experience working in the civil affairs command, KCOM uh, level echelon, but USRAF is actually a four-star command. What is it like working in a four-star command? Well, before before we deployed, I the team was, uh, I had a team getting ready to, to do a nine-month tour with USRAF. It was uh, the second rotation of the CAPT and civil information management team. And I told them that this tour would be more of a graduate level experience. We, at the four-star level, we found that there's a heavier emphasis on your ability to analyze, write, and communicate with other staff members and to synchronize with other staff sections. What, what makes this so unique is being in an office as opposed to being in a truck uh, doing one mission at a time. Those, those tactical actions are we understand that world. We know about having conversations and setting up KLEs and, and doing uh, our CONOPS, but when you're at a four-star command, you are taking, you're taking information from throughout theater and having to synthesize that into information that could inform command on either um, refining their plans or, or changing plans. So it's, it is a, hefty responsibility and it's definitely challenged folks to to think um, about every single thing they write and communicate with uh, the uh, their peers and staff members I appreciate you mentioning that civil affairs of course uh, came out of special operations command which is very tactically 
focused and their structure, mission essential tasks, um, and events that they largely conduct to this day are, are predominantly at the tactical level. So I imagine there's probably a big gap moving from that, that local level, bypassing operational, going all the way to strategic. And if I hear you correctly, what you're telling me is it, it's kind of civil knowledge integration heavy, kind of infra information heavy is that correct yes I, I would agree it's very heavy on information and it's it's understanding your doctrine you we come into this command civil affairs officers come into the command as the experts uh, so we we are seen as SMEs we our information we have to be very careful about how we're we're taking that information from the field from our forces at fifth corps and the 24th forth and communicating that to command in a in a way that they can then use that information to inform their decision making. Outstanding. Now, as chief of the civil affairs planning team, or CAPT, as we like to say, um, tell me a little bit about your particular role at USRAF, and uh, would you care to share any stories uh, of things that your team may have accomplished while in theater, or anything that went horribly wrong? Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, the list of things that went horribly wrong, it's always so much longer. I would say my uh, my experience as a CAPT chief, um, I have... Part of the reason why they brought a CAPT chief was that civil affairs needed a seat at the planning table. Uh, there were 06s branch chiefs for, for everyone except for CA. So CA falls underneath, actually right now, a SEMA chief. Uh, so I came on as staff augmentation. I support the civil affairs branch, CA branch that is there, run by a lieutenant colonel. And my job has been to hone in on plans, uh, be a part of exercises and representing civil affairs equities at the 06 level in like the Council of Colonels or with the G3 at his planning meetings. Outstanding. Um, obviously, we're all tracking some of the downsizing that unfortunately has happened in civil affairs. So uh, having a seat at that table uh, to be able to show that value and return on investment is absolutely critical uh, for the future of the branch. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, the, the, this past year. Uh, let me ask you this question, because here in Europe, it's very, very different than other places that, that we have recently uh, over the years deployed. Uh, and, and while we've actually been out of this counterinsurgency or coin fight for nearly a decade now, uh, the truth is that many of our soldiers formed their mental models in coin. And Based on that, what are some of the key differences that you'd, you'd like to tell the listeners in conducting civil affairs operations in Europe as opposed to, say, Iraq or Afghanistan? The key difference, the, the number one difference, these the countries within Europe are first world uh, sovereign nations and they have functioning governments. When we come in, and, and we have folks uh, all along the eastern flank, at least I'm speaking specifically of the, the tactical teams that we have deployed with C, uh, CA teams, they are to partner with that country's civil military uh, operations teams, the CIMIC cells that are there. So that nation's, basically that nation's civil affairs officers. We are paired with them to do anywhere from emergency management um, programs, uh, just community 
networking programs. We're not there to get involved in how their countries run. We're not trying to touch their utility systems. None of this looks like surge. None of it looks like the coin where we're going around and entering into contracts and, and doing training. We have, there are groups that exist that do the training of, they do the mill to mill training like the SVABs or um, militia training like the SIMCs might do. But for civil affairs teams, the biggest difference is we're, we are not in wartime. And we're in nations that we are there to assist but not to necessarily get involved or to run. And I think that's the hardest part for teams that have had experience downrange is that they think they'll come into a town and like, I'm, I'm your mayor now and I'm gonna do this, these lists of things. I'm gonna mess with your utilities and, and I'm gonna do something with your schools. That is unnecessary and we are not, we are not liberating anyone here. We are working again, along with our partners to help build capacity and uh, build relationships. Outstanding. If I can follow up to that, I, I know you spent some time managing a provincial reconstruction team. And from my experience in COIN, when we looked at the infrastructure and the areas we were deployed, it was you know, n nothing but a resource drain. It um, was a third world uh, primitive, uh, often non-functioning. Here in these first world countries in, in, in Europe and Africa, it, well, what is that infrastructure like? I would say initially, the country that came to mind is Ukraine. Uh, you, within this theater, you have a, a host of, of infrastructure statuses where you've got your Poland that has high functioning rail, road systems, communications networks, and then you have places like Ukraine where they have already looked at their infrastructure and said, we're not going to rebuild what we have, we are going to renew, we are going to innovate uh, with communication. So you're seeing folks with Soviet era communication systems looking to improve um, and, and to have some hardened communications infrastructure looking to change their rail systems. I know NATO is talking about having a standard NATO width on rail systems. So it's all of the infrastructure is, uh, I, well, saying all is, is dangerous, but a lot of it is, is interconnected. It's supportive of the other, and it operates a lot like our, our states do, state to state. You're on the highway, and you can tell when you're on an EU highway. Uh, the, the lights, the, the way that you don't have potholes everywhere. You've got um, established infrastructure. Now, I'd say the one place where you see the most innovation and change is going to be in their power, is in their ability to warm and cool their countries and, and how their, uh, and their fuel usage to try to get off of old Soviet era um, gas provided by Russia. And we have not, it's not something that we necessarily get involved with, but we're aware of, and it's, it's heavily an EU supported activity where um, our teams are not getting involved in it, but we are cognizant of the, the different aspects of each country, what they're trying to do to improve on their own um, with uh, no assistance from the U.S., but we are there to support. 
Uh, I understand that we probably won't be directly involved as civil affairs forces uh, managing some of these energy issues, but we are affected by them. Uh, Putin's decision to weaponize energy, according to the modeling that uh, I've seen that's uh, reasonably authoritative uh, coming out of The Economist, is that um, tens of thousands of people have died across Europe um, be because of the inability to generate heat and, and um, other uses for energy. Uh, certainly that's gonna have a ripple over effect. Um, I, I appreciate you mentioning Ukraine, that, that kind of is the elephant in the room here in Europe. And while we don't have US forces um, directly involved in Ukraine right now, um, assuming that it either comes to a negotiated truce like we saw in North and South Korea, or um, perhaps a, a Ukrainian victory. Um, do you see any role uh, potentially in the stability and reconstruction phase for U.S. civil affairs forces? That's a very good question, and uh, yes, I do. Late June of this year, the U.K. and Ukraine hosted a Ukraine recovery uh, symposium. And for the U.S., Secretary Blinken attended along with about 30 other um, high-ranking Department of State officials. Ukraine released that in order to rebuild, they're looking at $440 billion. And uh, I believe it was dollars and not euro. Uh, either way, that's a lot of money. I'd say that our involvement, the U.S. involvement, is going to be we're going to get our signals, the military will get its signals from Department of State, but this will primarily be a, U, a European Union-led effort, and we will get in where it is seen fit. I think you're going to see organizations within Department of State, like the Conflict and Stability Operations Organization or uh, Bureau of Humanitarian uh, and Migration being involved, USAID. I, in terms of military involvement, I, I think when we start moving to the local level uh, and having to, to be able to fill in some of those gaps, you may see teams being involved at the local level, but I think a lot of the initial discussions will be at Department of State and we'll be waiting to take our cues uh, as we get them from USAID. Thank you very much. I, I think we could probably dedicate an entire show sometime to talking about uh, the potential role of civil affairs um, in Ukraine. Uh, based on our time that we have available here, I know many of our listeners are interested in other civil affairs opportunities. And, and you mentioned the um, CAPT, uh, of course, and also the CIMIC earlier in our talk today. Uh, for those folks who uh, are reserve or National Guard, um, whether it's the IRR or uh, actively drilling. Can you talk for a moment about some of the opportunities they have if they want to come over here and serve in Europe? Yes, and they're, they're especially given the situation where civil affairs active duty units are being shut down. We're about to lose the 95th. Uh, for the reserve side, we're losing our reserve element overseas, the 361st Brigade. So within elements like the, th the 21st, UCOM, 5th Corps, there are opportunities to be on civil affairs planning teams. There are a lot of opportunities to be part of civil knowledge integration, regular ops. Uh, you need that. Often they're O1 Alpha opportunities. And, and when I'm mentioning these opportunities, I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm referencing tour of duty, uh, 
that anybody is able to to check into but there will be that's a website, that's a website tour yes okay. tour of duty and I, I know there had been some work so that soldiers are able to access tour of duty without using a cac uh, without using a government computer i should say um it is a cac enabled website so at every level, every echelon, there are civil affairs positions in planning, in G5 planning, G39, information operations, information warfare, and civil liaison teams. There are deployments. 308 underneath the 303rd KCOM has a steady state rotation where every eight months now, We'll have teams coming in and out in support of uh, Fifth Corps in Poland. So there, there are a lot of opportunities for deployments, for exercise support, and for ADOS tours within theater. Outstanding. Um, related to that, I understand that you personally did some of the heavy lifting for uh, a planned Theater Information Advantage Detachment, or TIAD, uh, to come to Europe. Uh, what is the status of that effort, and if that is in fact approved, who might be able to serve in those TIAD positions? Yes, the TIAD. So I, and um, I don't want to overstate my involvement. HQDA G three five seven, the demo SO. It's a lot of acronyms, but it's headquarters of the Army G three basically. I started OPTs every week to talk about the Theater Information Advantage Detachment, and the idea was that three ASCCs would receive a TIAD. The first one to receive it will be user, uh, user pack. The second will be user URAF, and the third will be our cyber. And the, the elements, each detachment is active component. It's made up of many MOSs, um, uh, information operations, electronic warfare, cyber, military in, uh, intelligence, civil affairs, psychological operations, PAO, and ORSAs, and uh, field artillery. So you have these initial TIADs that have not been approved yet. Uh, there are, There's a re approval requirement that we've been waiting uh, for the joint staff to sign off on that has not happened. But if we're just going to treat it like it's going to happen, uh, the, the TIADs will come out at 65 personnel per TIAD, and that is more of a test case. They call it a capabilities and requirements assessment, but the first couple of years of the TIADs at USERPAC, USERAF, and R-Cyber will be proofs of concept to determine what each theater actually needs, but it, it is made up of COMPO-1, or active duty soldiers, what we do believe in the civil affairs community, and uh, I hazard, I, I dare to, to say that General Daniels, our car, says, is thinking the same thing, is that with the amount of civil affairs and PSYOP requirements within these, it's gonna be a hard fill for active duty, and that there may be a time when reservists will be called to fill these elements. Now that is not something that is set in stone, but it's just it's been chatted about. But initially, it will all be active duty. But it's 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 a new unit of action. It's um, it's going to put together all of our skill sets in the information related capabilities, and 
they're going to be forging their own path. There's no doctrine for this element. So it's, it's definitely going to be getting its feet and figuring out how does that tie perform in conjunction with existing uh, soft elements that are already out in theater, SFAB, civil affairs teams that we have out there. How does that all work in this theater to get at roughly the same kinds of uh, problem sets? I had the opportunity to participate uh, personally in the uh, test of the TIAD at USERPAC. And uh, there were a few uh, folks from Compo 1 from First IO Command in it, but actually the vast majority of the uh, TIAD that, that was there for the test at Pacific Century a few years ago was drawn from Compo 3. So I, I think, you know, given the um, demand to available resources ratio, uh, you know, the, ma the math makes it pretty clear that I think Compo um, 2 and 3 is going to have to be involved uh, if this becomes a, a persistent uh, forward formation, uh, you know, with multiple elements. And, and it's very civil affairs heavy. There were uh, many civil affairs positions. It is. Uh, when you look at the TIAD, so the first three years are part of that CRAE, that Capabilities and Risk and um, Requirements Assessment. But by 20, 2030, you will have the full 300 or 295 personnel TIADs. So that's going to triple all the size of every team. So within the TIAD, you have a human dimension team, assessment team, engagement, intelligence, um, and a few more, but what the point of that is that it, it is going to be heavy on psychological operations, uh, civil affairs, and uh, dependent heavy on intelligence. So there, yes, there is a, a thought that we're not sure how you're going to fill that with only Compo 1. For this year, for 2024, for USARAF, I've been working with the 56 planner, uh, Colonel Turner, to source our exercise for the the TIAD, the campaign of learning for the TIAD, we're sourcing that with Compo 3 uh, because it's just the availability. USERPAC for their their exercise this year doing their campaign of learning for the TIAD, they used uh, portions of the reserve component to, to fill those those positions because of availability. Uh, so I, I do think as it grows we've got to answer some some questions, some serious questions questions about the policy for activating reservists for two, three-year terms so that we can fill these tie-ins. I mean, wow, 295 positions, that, that's that's not a small ask. Uh, of course, that raises bill payer questions and, and other questions as well, which you know ultimately will, will have to be assigned. It does sound like a, a significant capability and a much needed capability. Uh, let's hope that that R-struck gets signed soon so that we can uh, see if that can provide um, the effects that uh, uh, COCOM commanders are, are looking for. Now, let me ask you this. You've talked about a lot, actually, of uh, career opportunities, not just for civil affairs officers, but for all the information-related capabilities, MI, and, and a few other uh, branches as well. Um, are these career opportunities that you mentioned, are they open to our brothers and sisters in the Marine Corps? Uh, and also, how do people both in the Army and in the Marine Corps apply for these various opportunities? Okay, so and part of the challenge I, for your, your listeners, um, 
part of the challenge is, is where do I find those opportunities that aren't mentioned on tour of duty? And, and a lot of it is sadly by word of mouth. It's folks going on these tours are finding once they arrive that they just ask questions to the G5 or to uh, foreign area officers about gaps in their offices and that's when they're finding out their positions that are there that aren't often publicized. So there is part of it is word of mouth, part of it is tour of duty. It, a lot of the positions, especially within USRAP, because it's a it's an army organization, are going to be limited to military army officers. UCOM is a, a joint uh, joint command, so there are opportunities for folks of all services to apply. And I, I'd say that sitting down with HRC, your career manager and talking to your G3 at your KCOMs or just your G3 in your, your core or your whatever element you are, speak to your G3 and get involved in exercises which are going to open the door to some other opportunities uh, regardless of your service. But primarily for Army, it would be tour of duty and participating in exercises and tours that your units are going on that have steady state tours to be able to, to then, um, you're going to hunt for yourself a little bit to, to find out opportunities. I'd say that there are new things popping up all the time as with SAGU, which is a support assistance uh, security assistance group Ukraine and that's uh, their civil affairs officers you have in their J9 you have Marine Corps Navy and Army all serving together and that's one of the unique opportunities but there's um, with a little bit of investigation and some conversations with your leadership you can find out about these opportunities but there are there are many and a lot of them are going unfilled thanks for mentioning that i know that um uh, the boss that i work for would definitely hire marines uh in positions that are are advertised for for army civil affairs they definitely bring something to the table and since they have CACs as well they can definitely access the tour of duty site uh, of course, we'll be mentioning some of these opportunities in uh, future episodes of the One Civil Affairs podcast as well. Uh, we're at time. Uh, I'm very grateful for you coming today. Uh, Colonel Scherer, I wish you well as you continue your career, and I look forward to calling you General Scherer one day. Oh, well, <laughs> that, uh, that unfortunately is, is in the realm of the impossible, but I'm happy to continue to serve for the remaining years that I have. Uh, I'm at 25 years of service. and. Uh, I'm going to stay until I hit 30, but thank you for the service that you provide. Uh, this is a great forum for people to get some more information and then to be able to reach out to you and ask, ask questions is, is just great. It's valuable. Thank you, ma'am. And uh, again, we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38 Brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is 1CA10, and the site is lc38brand.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host, Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.